Welcome this evening to uh, Beth Messiah Congregation as we continue our celebration uh, of uh, the Passover, uh, of God's uh, great uh, mercy and blessing. And of course, uh, as a uh, Messianic Jewish community, uh, we're here tonight to remember the resurrection of the Messiah. Uh, and, uh, you know, Passover, of course, began on Monday evening. Uh, with a Seder, and then last night we had our community uh, Seder, and then uh, tonight uh, we celebrate uh, the resurrection. And, uh, you know, in a Messianic Jewish congregation, oftentimes we think of, yes, Passover, uh, of course, uh, you know, and attending the Seder. Last night we had like 250 people uh, come, and it's a tradition every year where People come just for the Seder because they know that, wow, a Messianic congregation, we're going to remember Passover, the death of the Messiah. But what sometimes what we fail to realize is that the resurrection of the Messiah is just as much a, a Messianic Jewish event uh, as uh, the death of the Messiah. Uh, and, uh, and it's no coincidence that Yeshua uh, died at the Passover season and rose from the dead uh, on the Feast of First Fruits, and tonight we want to understand a little bit about that and appreciate the resurrection all the more and hopefully enhance uh, this season for us. And as we'll learn a little bit later tonight, tonight is the beginning of a journey, a journey for us uh, to, the, uh, uh, to Shavuot, to the Feast of Weeks. Uh, and uh, may this be the beginning of, uh, of, of a journey that draws us communally, you know, closer to the Lord. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, we thank you, uh, uh, Lord, for the opportunity that we have uh, to come into your presence, to be with you, Lord, and uh, a God to remember. Lord, Yeshua said, do this in remembrance of me. Lord, uh, our desire is to do everything in remembrance of, of, uh, of Yeshua. But at this time of year, as we celebrate Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, may we remember uh, the import of Passover for us, the season of deliverance. And may we understand and appreciate that uh, when Israel was delivered out of Egypt, you did a great miracle, Lord, and that miracle was pointing to uh, the coming of the Messiah. Lord, and may we appreciate what uh, the death and resurrection, what the coming of the Messiah means to us, uh, Lord, and may it make a difference in our lives. We thank you. We pray that you would be pleased with our worship tonight, and we pray in Messiah's name. Uh, amen. All right, I'm going to ask us, if you have a Bible with you, and there's some in the, in the pews there, to turn to uh, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. We just want to read it together. And actually, yes, we can read it together because you'll, you'll use one of the Bibles that are in the pews or... Uh, a New American Standard Version, okay, that's what I'll be reading from, so we can read it together, and Matthew 28, verses uh, 1 to 9, okay? All right, let's uh, read uh, together. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And, he, and his appearance was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Yeshua, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, Come, See the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Yeshua met them and greeted them, and they came and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And now it's uh, so many years later, and we still take hold of him. He is still risen from the dead, and we still worship him. And we give thanks 
we give thanks to the Lord for the great work that he has done. I turn to uh, the last book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation in chapter 5, and you can listen as I, as I read. And uh, th- this is a great uh, chapter, uh, just a couple of words about it. One of the things, of course, it's much about Yeshua, and in this chapter, he is the lion and he is also the lamb. And one of the things that's uh, very interesting, I think, is that uh, even uh, uh, you know, at the end, uh, Yeshua never loses his uh, Jewish identity. Uh, it's very interesting that uh, you know when he lived, of course, uh, you know, born of uh, Miriam or Mary, uh, he uh, is from the tribe of Judah, uh, the king of Israel, and so on. And uh, and then he died, and he rose from the dead. And when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he still, even in his resurrection body, had his ethnic identity. And that is something to uh, recognize. He is not just simply the cosmic, the cosmic Messiah, you, you know, uh, but uh, in his resurrection body, he still has his uh, identity, his Jewish identity. And uh, that's very interesting, uh, very, has very in- interesting implications for all of us, of, of course. Um, but I think it's very interesting. It says in verse 5, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. He's still from the tribe of Judah. Kind of interesting, right? Uh, also, he's also referred to as the lamb. And I- interestingly enough, in the book of Revelation, the Messiah is referred to, the, to as a lamb often. Uh, and we usually think of the lamb as meek and mild, you know, and, uh, and of course Yeshua uh, took our sins upon himself, and as a lamb that is led to slaughter, he did not open his mouth, as it says in Isaiah 53, you know. But here, the lamb is very powerful. The lamb is a king. The lamb uh, is indeed a lion. Uh, and, and so Yeshua never loses that that. We could call it that Passover identity, that Jewish identity and that Passover identity uh, as indeed the Lamb of God. He never stops being the Lamb of God. He never stops being from the tribe of Judah. And so when we talk about uh, the Messianic identity, uh, the Jewish identity of Messiah, uh, that is, it was, it's not only roots, it's still true indeed today. Okay, so uh, you can follow along uh, here in Revelation chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I, was a st- and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look inside of it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And, I, and one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having each one a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. For thou wast slain and didst purchased for God with thy blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. 
For the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, and the elders uh, fell down and worshipped. And so what a great passage of Scripture uh, for us to remember the implications of the resurrection of the Messiah. And it certainly uh, makes us more desirous of serving the Lord, more desirous of proclaiming uh, who indeed God is. So, Mars, you know, when we, a few moments ago, uh, when we stood up and we uh, said the Shema, sometimes we call the Shema uh, a prayer. But it isn't a prayer, it's a declaration. It's like we're standing up and we're saying, you know, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, in another, uh, on another level, we're simply quoting, right? We're simply quoting Scripture. And we're like declaring the Scripture, right? So this evening, I, uh, I think it's wise for us uh, to remain standing and to uh, declare, so to speak, you know, our, our belief and trust in the Lord and the resurrection uh, of, uh, of the Messiah. And so, there we go, okay? So let's all uh, say together, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will take His stand on the earth. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust awake and shout for joy. Yeshua said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. But now Messiah has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Messiah all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Messiah, the first fruits. After that, those who are Messiahs at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. He is indeed our trust. We, uh, you know, without the resurrection of the Messiah, we know his death was in vain. But also without the resurrection of the Messiah, we could look around the world and say all is lost. For where will our help come? Our help comes from the Lord, from the living God. And so now uh, let's sing Hallelujah et Adonai. Let us give praise to God for the resurrection of the Messiah. And uh, based on our uh, Seder last night, we have about four hours to go tonight. So just, uh, you know, settle back and, uh, and we'll be good, right? Oh, wait a minute. No big meal. Okay, we'll be done in 45 minutes. No. All right. So uh, tonight, I, uh, or I should say this, you know, uh, about, I don't know, eight years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago, I really uh, felt that um, while we celebrate uh, Passover, and at the Passover we remember the resurrection of Yeshua, that it would be wise for us to accentuate the resurrection. I, uh, and again, like I said uh, a few minutes ago, I, I think that uh, you know whether we articulate this or not, that uh, in a Messianic Jewish setting we identify a lot with the death of the Messiah. We, we can identify the Passover and, and all that. Isaiah 53, you know, Yeshua died for our sins. But we, uh, don't, make, we don't make enough, we don't, um, we don't make enough out of, and he rose from the dead. Uh, and, also, and I think the reason for that is, there's two reasons for that. One is not appreciating the, uh, the, the messianic meaning of the resurrection, uh, and number two uh, is just understanding the resurrection, you know? Because I think that if you were to poll most people that would identify themselves as believers in the Messiah, right? And uh, you ask them, why did Yeshua die? They would answer readily, right? Readily. He died for my sins. He took my sins on him so I wouldn't die why was he raised from the dead? Well, I, 
I don't know exactly why. The Bible says so, right? And so it's important for us to recognize that uh, the, the, imp- the important meaning of the resurrection. So we want to appreciate that a little bit. This is not a, a, cla- a theological class uh, uh, tonight, but we want to appreciate the resurrection and understand uh, its meaning and understand its import and understand a little bit about where it come, where the idea even originates and comes from, and uh, and uh, even in a Jewish setting, the importance of uh, of resurrection. So you know, in our siddur, every every Shabbat morning, uh, we uh, and tonight, in fact, also, we uh, recited a prayer, a Jewish prayer that goes back to antiquity, the Amidah, right? Uh, it is not something that uh, we made up, <laughs> you know. Uh, it goes back thousands of years. And uh, you'll notice, you can look at it on page 87, right where we were uh, a few minutes ago. You notice right in the middle of the page, it says, Lord, you are mighty forever. You call the dead to life. You are mighty to save. And then underneath that, it says, you sustain the living with loving kindness and with great mercy you revive the dead. You uphold those who fall, heal the sick, set the captives free, and keep faith with those who sleep in the dust. Lord of might, who is like you? King, who can be compared to you? You decree death and restore life, causing salvation to flourish. You are faithful to revive the dead. Blessed are you, Lord, who calls the dead to life. Do you notice over and over again, it talks about calling the dead to life? Uh, and uh, and also identifying that with salvation, right? Notice that it says, you decree death and restore life, causing salvation to come forth. So salvation is not only about Yeshua died for my sins, but salvation is that he rose from the dead. Salvation is that we have life in the Messiah. There would be no life eternal. The sting of death would not be taken away if Yeshua was not raised from the dead. And in fact, one could say he died with our sins so that he could be raised from the dead, as we'll see in a moment from his own words. Now, it's also interesting, if you turn to page 143 in your Siddur, this is what's called the weekday Amidah. Now, you know, here at Beth Messiah, we only have one service a week, basically, and that is uh, our Shabbat morning service. And we may not be familiar with the fact that the uh, uh, that on weekdays there's a, there's more benedictions. It's bigger. How many are there altogether? Eighteen. Well, it could we could be nineteen, but yes, eighteen. Because it's called what is the other name of the Amidah? Shimona Esrei, or eighteen. Right there, you go. All right. So you'll notice on page 143 in English. Notice what some of these benedictions are. Look at the one that says rebuild. Return in compassion to your city, Jerusalem, and dwell in her midst as you have spoken. Build her soon, even in our days, and for our offspring forever, and speedily establish the throne of David in the midst of her. Blessed are you, Lord, the builder of Jerusalem. May you cause David, your servant, to blossom as a pregnant woman blossoms, and quickly establish the horn of your salvation. For we have hoped for your salvation every day. Blessed are you, Lord, who causes the horn of your salvation uh, to blossom. And so in the Siddur, there is not only the belief in the resurrection, there's the hope of the resurrection. Uh, There's the hope that the day is going to come when there'll be a new Jerusalem. And in other passages, a new heaven and earth even. A day when there'll there'll be a, a David to sit on the throne. And that the horn of salvation will reveal himself. You know, it's interesting because one of the main differences between us and the rest of the Jewish community, you know, there's when you get right down to it, Yeshua is the difference. It's not so much, uh, you know, the rest of the, the liturgy or practice. It's just it's Yeshua is the difference and, and, and all that goes with him. So you'll notice in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, it's kind of interesting. Uh, toward the end of the chapter, Zacharias the father of John the Baptist, right? Look at what he says. First about Yeshua. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, 
For he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear interestingly enough if you turn to the beginning of the or the the first part of the gospel of luke chapter one notice what gabriel the angel says to mary about the identity of yeshua the identity of the baby within her i he says um i in verse 31 behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him yeshua which by the way means salvation he will be great and be called the son of the most high And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. So in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, you have statements about who Yeshua is that actually are uh, statements about who the Jewish community anticipates the Messiah will be. It's kind of interesting that if you were to take these words out of the out of the gospel and put them in a Jewish text. This is exactly how the Jewish world understands how the Messiah would be. And so in our Siddur, there is the hope. There is the desire. Lord, come, restore the kingdom, restore Jerusalem, restore the Davidic dynasty, restore David, restore the horn of our salvation. But we as Messiah followers, we do not have to pray, Lord, please, please come. Because the Messiah has come. He has come, and His name is Yeshua. True, we we wait for Him to return. Yes, indeed. But the fact is, is that we don't have to beg hope for the forgiveness of sins that maybe this will happen. This might take place sometime, but God has allowed us to taste the first fruits of of the resurrection of, of the dead. So it's interesting that in the Siddur itself, and not only, I, I mean, I'm, uh, for convenience sake, quoting from our Messianic Siddur, but you can find these same statements in any Siddur, any Jewish prayer book, in any synagogue. Uh, that is what you will find. So there is the hope, indeed, of the resurrection, but we are so thankful uh, that we indeed have that. Now, in the pages uh, of the uh, New Covenant, it is kind of interesting. If you turn to uh, Acts chapter 23 for a moment. In Acts 23, this is where Paul is defending himself before the council. Okay? The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders. So actually, I think I'll begin in the first verse. And Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to them, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You know, one thing about Paul, he had chutzpah, if you know what I'm trying to say. And do you sit uh, to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was a high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, this is where we see he was a smart person, Paul, because notice carefully how he perceives the situation and what he does. But of course, for our purposes, it's what he says. But perceiving that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council. Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. And as he said this, there arose a dissension among the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. The Pharisees acknowledge them all. So the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. Now this is very important for us because Historically, after the fall of the temple, after the destruction of Jerusalem, certain uh, Jewish religious leaders who had come from the Pharisees, 
gathered at a town called Yavne, in the Galilee. And there they began to formulate what would, be, what would become Judaism, which is answering the question, how do we live as Jews without Jerusalem? How do we live as Jews without a temple? And so they began to write down their oral traditions, okay, about how they, uh, uh, how they would sustain themselves, how they would live, how they would practice. Well, there's a lot to be said about that, but for our purposes right now, what was included in what they believed was the resurrection of the dead. That's why it's in the Siddur. The Siddur comes from the, uh, the, uh, the people who survived the destruction, who went to Yavne uh, and formulated Jewish religious belief. As history plays out, the Siddur is a reflection of much of what they believed. That sh- hopefully that's not a surprise to us, because what it says is, wow, you know, we have more in common than you'd ever believe. That's why you see the difference is, is Yeshua the Messiah uh, or not? Has the resurrection taken place uh, or not? Well, of course, we know that it indeed has. But the Siddur reflects this belief of the resurrection of the dead that the Pharisees believed. Why did the Pharisees believe it? May I suggest? Because the scriptures teach it. They didn't make it up. It wasn't Hellenistic. It didn't come from the Greeks. But it is right there uh, in the scriptures. And we know it, of course, you know, from uh, a number of places. And we're not going to list them all. You can read some of them. Uh, You know, one is in Psalm 16. That's why at Jewish funerals, Psalm 16 is a regular uh, reading. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Why would Psalm 16 be a regular reading at Jewish funerals? Because encased in the Psalm is the hope of life after death. And isn't it interesting, one place we can turn to is Acts chapter 2. And here we have a divine commentary on Psalm 16. This comes from a speech given by Peter, and he talks about Psalm 16. He quotes it. Okay, Uh, Actually, beginning in verse 24, uh, here he talks about Yeshua being raised from the dead. He says, And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. By the way, that's a great verse to stop and say, there is a reason for the resurrection, so that death no longer has power, and sin sin no longer uh, 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 has power uh, over uh, the Messiah and all who identify with him. Now he says, For David says of him, I was beholding the Lord in my presence, For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope, because thou wilt not abandon my soul to uh, uh, Hades, nor allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou Thou wilt make me full of gladness with thy presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Yeshua God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Stand at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Yeshua whom you crucified. Certain things about this are very interesting. Uh, one is is that uh, clearly Peter is saying that Psalm 16 is ultimately referring to the resurrection of the Messiah. And the hope that David had of his own resurrection is in the Messiah. Something else that's very interesting is the binding together of the resurrection of the Messiah and the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh. That uh, Yeshua had to be raised from the dead not only to do away with a death and the power of sin, 
But in order for, the, on the other side, in order for the Ruach HaKodesh to be poured out, because the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, as well as resurrection, according to the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, and even the, you know, the writings uh, of, uh, of Jewish religious leaders, is that the pouring out of the Spirit and the resurrection are signs of the age to come, are signs of the Olam Haba, the world to come. And so when Yeshua rose from the dead, that in and of itself was a sign of the beginning of the new age. But then when the Spirit of God was poured out, then people could experience this themselves to a certain degree. They could experience uh, evidence of the, uh, of the new age uh, as well as uh, the forgiveness you know, uh, and the forgiveness of sins. And so, uh, therefore, the resurrection of the dead, uh, the resurrection of Yeshua is vitally important so that death no longer binds him or us and the empowerment of God via the indwelling Ruach HaKodesh. Very, very important. And so we see there are a number of scriptures. Also, uh, there are scriptures in Isaiah chapter 26. And, you know, in Daniel chapter 12, uh, uh, there's a great uh, statement there about everybody being raised from the dead. Right? And, and so if anyone should ever say, well, where does it specifically say uh, that people are going to be raised from the dead? Well, it says in Daniel chapter 12, in verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. To those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So clearly, we read about the resurrection of the dead. You know, I guess I should read that passage in Isaiah because it is pretty straightforward. In Isaiah chapter 26, beginning in verse 18, it says, We were pregnant, we writhed in labor, we gave birth, as it were, only to wind. We could not accomplish deliverance for the earth, nor were inhabitants of the world born. But your dead will live, their corpses will arise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. So clearly, we read about the resurrection uh, right there uh, in the book of, um, of, uh, of Isaiah. So we see in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures, we see in the testimony uh, of Peter, we see in the testimony of Paul clearly accentuating the belief in the resurrection of the dead. Why? Because that is the sign of the age to come, the resurrection uh, of the dead. Now, this did not escape later Jewish um, uh, Bible interpreters, commentators, and leaders. Uh, some of you may have heard of uh, Maimonides. Maimonides, Maimonides uh, was an 11th century uh, a Jewish figure who uh, is influential to this very day. Influential to this very day. Okay, uh, now he uh, he was an author. He wrote several works, and he spoke often about the resurrection of the dead. He uh, he wrote something called the Thirteen Articles of Faith, one of which is the resurrection of the dead as part of what it means to believe the Jewish way, believing in the resurrection of the dead. But he also said some other things about resurrection. Okay, and let me quote a few of them. All right. Actually, this comes from the, uh, the Talmud that Maimonides quoted as a proof text to argue for the resurrection of the dead. Okay? comes from the Talmud in the Tractate Brachot. It says, In the age to come, there is no eating, drinking, washing, anointing, or sexual intercourse. But the righteous sit on their crowns, on their heads, enjoying the radiance of the divine presence. Okay? He talks about, uh, and then he, uh, he describes... What does it mean about the, the delight of the radiance of the divine presence? It says, this means that the souls enjoy blissful delight in their attainment of knowledge of the truly essential nature of God, the Creator, a delight which is like, the, like that experienced by the holy angels who know His existence firsthand. Now, we're not so concerned about exactly what he thinks all this means, but the fact that he believes it is what's so important to us that there is a, a, a physical resurrection from the dead in which we continue to live forever and have knowledge and understanding and 
and so on, and, and a presence of, of mind. That is very, uh, you know, very important, uh, very important for us. Okay, uh, here, uh, one other thing that he says, the individuals who will return to their bodies will eat, drink, marry, and procreate, and they will die after a long life, those who live, uh, the, like those who live during the Messianic age. The life, however, is not followed by death, is life in the world to come. Now, so it's interesting. Now, and when it comes to his theology, you know, he contradicts himself all over the place in a number of places. But that's not what's important to us. What's important to us is that he believed in a physical resurrection of the dead. You see, in the progressive revelation of God, certainly it takes uh, for us to know Messiah, to understand uh, the depth of that and, and to understand the of what what all of that uh, what all of that entails, but the point is is that the resurrection of the dead is a very important part of uh, Jewish uh, belief. Uh, in fact, to this day, uh, in the Orthodox uh, Jewish uh, community, uh, there is a group of uh, Jewish people uh, who believe that one of their religious leaders is going to be raised from the dead. Right? Some of you are familiar with that, with the Lubavitch Hasidim, right? And Menachem Schneerson, who was a very important Rebbe who died. Uh, and some of his followers are still to this day waiting for him to be raised from the dead. In fact, in Israel, you can find billboards uh, and all kinds of uh, you know, papers posted on, on walls waiting for him to be raised from the dead waiting for him to return. It's, he's even called King Messiah. Unbelievable, right? Well, it just goes to show you that believing that Yeshua is indeed the Messiah and that he died for our sins and he rose from the dead is certainly a very Jewish belief. Now, for some of us here, we might say, well, that's fine. Well, but it's very important uh, because it, it, it uh, shows the consistency uh, of this belief coming out of the Hebrew text out of the Tanakh and out of the Jewish world. And again, it, it, uh, it shows us the, the, uh, again, the essence, that the essence, the heritage and the essence, what, it, what our faith is, is indeed Jewish. So when we talk about believing in the Messiah of Israel and being grafted in and, and all of that, we're believing in the Messiah of Israel, and that gives us much to rejoice in, in and of itself. But why is it important? Why is it important? Okay, now let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23 for a minute, okay? Leviticus chapter 23. Here we have the feasts of Israel uh, lined up here, the biblical holidays. You don't have uh, Purim and you don't have Hanukkah, uh, you know, in uh, Leviticus 23. But the, the, the feasts, the holidays, the convocations that are in the scriptures, or that are in the Torah. Okay? All right, so if we, um, if we go back to um, verse 4, it says, These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. In the first month of the 14th day of the month, at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day of the same month, there is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. To the Lord, for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work. But for seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work. Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land which I am going to give to you, and you reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits." of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. On the day after the seventh Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Okay. You know, there's a lot we could say. And in our Bible study this morning, we really broke this whole thing down. But uh, tonight, I just want to uh, uh, talk about here in verse 10. Okay, verse 10. In verse 10, it says, When you enter the land which I'm going to give to you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits to the priest. Okay, uh, again, then on verse uh, uh, verse eleven, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. Okay, 
So now we see that this time of year, the time of year of Passover and unleavened bread, okay, is the early spring harvest. It's the early spring harvest. That's why it wasn't only for Passover, but it was because of this of the feast of unleavened bread, which encases Passover and the feast of what's called the feast of first fruits. People would come from far and wide uh, for this early uh, early first fruits uh, harvest festival. Okay. Now, you know, it's, and, and they would offer this first fruits. Now, you know how we saw in Acts chapter 23, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, uh, you know, they're certainly all Jewish, but they did not like each other. And they did not have a lot in common on many levels. Okay? Not only did they argue about the resurrection and the existence of angels and supernatural beings, but they also had a big disagreement about this verse. Because the question became, and if you've ever read the Talmud, you can appreciate volumes come from questions like this. What does it mean after the Sabbath? This became quite a, uh, a uh, quite a controversial issue. When do we offer this first fruits? Do we offer it on Sunday? That's the day after the Sabbath. Do we offer it on the first day of the week every year during that seven days? of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there's always going to be a Shabbat, right? Uh, on that holiday, there's always going to be a Shabbat, okay? So did, do we offer the first fruits on the day after that? Or because every uh, holiday is called a Shabbat, do we offer uh, uh, the first fruits on the day after the first day? And, you know, on the, the, uh, on the, the, the 16th of Nisan. Okay, so this is interesting. The Sadducees were in control at that time, right? The Sadducees were in control of the temple. The Sadducees were in control of worship when, when Yeshua lived, okay, when Yeshua lived, okay? And they held the day. Uh, you know, their way was the conventional way that things were done. And so therefore, those first fruits at that time were offered on Sunday, <laughs> the day after the Sabbath. It just so happened that on that year, in that year, that the way Passover plays out, that uh, Yeshua rose from the dead on that day when Passover is celebrated, uh, you know, when they had the Seder and when the, when the first day uh, came and the second day and so on. It is amazing that Yeshua rose from the dead on that day. So as a result... Because he died and rose from the dead on the holiday, we know the Hebrew date. I would suggest that we know the Hebrew date, the Hebrew date, uh, when Yeshua rose from the dead, which would have been in that year, the 17th of Nisan. Okay? And that is why we have our service the day after the second Seder, the night, really, after the second Seder, because the sun is going down. We are coming into the day of the resurrection of Yeshua. Okay? Not necessarily the second Sunday after the vernal equinox, right? But the 17th of Nisan. Whenever you want to celebrate it, fine with, whenever you want to celebrate it, whatever. But we know from the time when Yeshua died by dying at Passover, we can tell the day that he was raised from the dead by the date, which is the day of the feast of first fruits. Now, so that is the day that Yeshua rose from the dead. That's why we read that he's the first fruits. That's why that metaphor is used. And that is also why in the book of James, the believers are called the first fruits of the resurrection. It all comes back to when Yeshua rose from the dead on this day, the first fruits. Okay? So indeed, Yeshua is the first fruits of the resurrection. Now, what was the point of first fruits? The point of offering. Uh, the first fruits, the beginning of the harvest, was to say to God, I'm giving you the best and trusting you for the whole harvest and trusting you for the whole thing. So therefore, by Yeshua being raised from the dead, that is the assurance of the resurrection of the dead of all who embrace Him. The fact that He rose from the dead tells us He's the one. He's the one. You know, it's very interesting because horizontally speaking, just physically in this world, you know, uh, Yeshua died this tragic death and his followers basically were totally confused and ran away. 
It was not until after the resurrection that Yeshua taught them the meaning of his death to understand it. And no one could deny the resurrection. See, that was the uh, certainly, uh, you know, the, the supernatural proof positive that atonement had been made. He is indeed the one. He is the one who has conquered death. We embrace him. Our sins are forgiven. We have the first fruits of the resurrection, the the uh, the down payment, we might say, the first installment, the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh, which assures us of a bodily resurrection. And we know we have not gotten there yet. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8. Yes, we groan. Yes, we ourselves groan, waiting for the redemption of our bodies. But with the assurance being the Ruach and experiencing that resurrection of the dead. And so when Yeshua came, uh, he came purposefully for this pur- to die for our sins in order to be raised from the dead. And so, you know, it is interesting in the Gospel of, uh, of John, Yeshua talks about this, and he says about his, when he refers to himself as the Good Shepherd, right? All right, I, I guess, well, let me begin in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He identifies himself as the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. Okay, Not because he went to shepherd school. right? Uh, because he lays down his life for the sheep. There's a thousand metaphors we can make about shepherds and sheep. But here, Yeshua is speaking specifically, he's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. You know, we make the words of Yeshua so complicated sometimes. You know, anyway, that's another story. All right. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd is not a shepherd and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own sheep and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says it again. Oh, there's so much packed in those verses. But for our purposes right now, it's just he lays down his life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice. And they shall become one flock with one shepherd. Speaking of uh, certainly uh, the nations, you know, not only Israel, but the nations. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. He says over and over again, I came to lay down my life for the sheep. I came to lay down my life for the sheep. But then he says it's in one little statement. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again, in order that I may take it up again. And so he did not see himself simply as, or only as, I'm the good shepherd because I lay down my life for the sheep. Because the end game is I'm raised from the dead. The end game is the, the, ultimately a new heaven and a new earth. The Olam Haba, the world to come. And so the fact of the matter is, is that when we understand that and we uh, trust in him, as uh, this is explained to us in uh, Romans chapter 6, he says here, therefore we, in verse 4, therefore we have been buried with him through immersion into death in order that as Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So we identify with his death, we identify with his resurrection. And he says, you know, reckon these things, think on these things, consider yourself dead to sin but alive to God. Recognize who you are indeed in the Messiah. And so that is why we are here, that is why we celebrate uh, uh, the uh, the resurrection. And you know, uh, back in... Um, uh, back in Luke there, or uh, John in chapter 10, you know, there's one other thing Yeshua says a little bit farther down. Let me just read it. It's in verse uh, 22, I believe. He says, oh, not in verse 22. Uh, yeah. Uh, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one, no one knows the Son uh, except the Father, and who the Father is uh, except no one uh, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. 
And so uh, we know him uh, via the fact that he allow he brings us to himself, and we identify indeed, uh, indeed, in that resurrection. All right. Uh, and so finally, uh, uh, tonight, I uh, we want to uh, understand that uh, in our celebration of this, we're beginning a journey, right? We're uh, moving uh, from, uh, think about this historically, uh, that if, if we go back to when uh, the Jewish people came out of Egypt, right? Uh, we know that 50 days from, uh, from the beginning of the Feast of First Fruits is Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, what we call Pentecost, right? According to Jewish tradition, that is the arrival at Mount Sinai where Israel receives the Torah. Uh, as Messiah followers, we know historically that Yeshua was with his disciples for 40 days, and then he ascended to the right hand of, of God. And then 10 days later, on the 50th day, the Ruach HaKodesh was poured out, right? The Spirit of God was, uh, was uh, poured out. We also know that uh, we have indeed received the Messiah, and we are waiting for the consummation, for the return of the Lord. And so during this uh, period of time, we begin something called the counting of the Omer. Okay? The counting of the Omer. Back in Leviticus uh, chapter 23, it talks about uh, this grain offering for, fifth, offering for seven Sabbaths, right? 49 days, then plus one. And the 50th day is this, uh, is this second uh, first fruits offering. Okay? So you have, uh, on the day that Yeshua rose from the dead, this first first fruits offering, which was a barley harvest. And then uh, in Leviticus 23, it talks about 50 days later, another first fruits offering, which was a wheat harvest. All right? And, uh, and that was, you know, during the temple times, every day they would bring this offering. But now there is no temple. And so now this counting of this 50 days, is called the counting of the Omer. We don't bring a grain offering anymore. We don't bring a first fruits offering anymore. There's no temple or anything like that. But we uh, count the days. And it is understood that it is a counting of the days. It, it's like an anticipation of this 50th day. And so in the Jewish world, the 50 days are counted as if we're going from out of Egypt, and we're looking forward to getting to Sinai, and then on the 50th day on the Feast of Pentecost on Shavuot, we celebrate the receiving of the Torah. Okay? As Messiah followers, it means it's a, it's a different kind of journey, inclusive of that, I suppose. But one is, we count these days looking forward to that 50th day when we celebrate the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh. But even more so, as Messiah followers, we count those 50 days in anticipation of the return of Messiah. It's a great time of journey. And really, the theme of it is journey. From now to the end of this counting of the Omer. And so, in just a moment, Marcy is going to come and lead us in our counting of today's Omer. But traditionally here at Beth Messiah, traditionally, for the last few years, you know, you do it once, it's an accident. You do it twice, it's interesting. You do it three times, it's a tradition. Okay? All right. So um, I like to challenge us a little bit with, uh, with uh, 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 a communal journey during this 50-day period. Yes, tonight we're celebrating the resurrection but it really is a kickoff of really accentuating and appreciating all of that. So there's two things that uh, I'd like to challenge us with. And it's really not, you know, it's not that great of a challenge, but it's something for us all to do together. So I would like for us to read the book of Isaiah, all 66 chapters of Isaiah over the course of 50 days. Okay. So now to get the most out of that, don't read it in two days, okay? Or read it 10 times, you know, if you can do that, then that's great. But I want you to read it slowly, but beginning now and ending by 50 days from now, okay? We'll tell you that date tomorrow.
Okay, but all 66 chapters. And then you're going to receive from me regularly. Regularly is an interesting word. But anyway, regularly, a little commentary on certain things along the journey. Sort of like, you know, when you're on a tour uh, in Israel, the tour guide can't point out every single thing that, you you know, uh, at every mile marker or, or every kilometer marker, you know, something that, uh, something there, but along the way. Okay, so regularly, I, I will point out certain things along the way. I might even pose some questions for you to think about for yourself. Okay, and then there's something else. As we will do tonight, we read Psalm 67 every single day during the counting of the Omer. Now, we do it every Shabbat when we come together because that's the day we're together to count the Omer. But Psalm 67... There are seven verses in Psalm 67, okay? You can spend a whole week on one verse in Psalm 67. And so, also regularly, okay, uh, I'm going to send out some, you know, just some interesting devotional material on each verse of Psalm 67. And what I'd like us to do is to focus on the first week, on this week, on verse 1. And then next week on verse 2. And the following week on verse 2. And all the way to the end of it. So the book of Isaiah and Psalm 67. Uh, and something tells me that when I send out this material regularly, it's going to be about something that relates somehow to that verse in Psalm 67 to what we're reading in Isaiah. Okay? Uh, and how rich is that? Because my guess for many of us, you know, we love Isaiah we love Isaiah 53, or we love Isaiah chapter 7, or, you know, uh, or Isaiah chapter 6, uh, or, you know, a particular passage in, in the book of Isaiah. But it is great, you know, there's the no man's land of Isaiah. When was the last time you read Isaiah chapter 17, right? There's a lot there. Or Isaiah chapter 31. Wow, there's a lot there. So I'd like us to really get the most out of the book of Isaiah uh, in this way, by taking some time and reading it. Make it part of your devotions. You'll be getting an email from me uh, introducing this. You'll get it tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, And I hope that you'll participate in it. Because the goal of it is 50 days of drawing closer to the Lord, appreciating who we are in Messiah, appreciating the finished work of Messiah, His resurrection, who we are, and what we have to look forward to. What a rich experience this is. And so let us give thanks uh, for, uh, you know, the coming of the Messiah, the richness of the resurrection, the life that we have in him. Uh, And let's pray, and then Marcy will come and lead us in the counting of it, and then we'll conclude our service. Lord uh, God, we thank you for the resurrection of the Messiah. We thank you that in Messiah Yeshua we have life. We thank you, Lord, uh, that we are justified in the death of Messiah, but we are saved by your life. And so, Lord, thank you, God. Uh, and I pray that we would, we would count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to you. And that we would indeed live as people who have been delivered and transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. And that might, that might have physical ramifications in our lives, Lord. God, I pray that even though we have not yet been physically raised from the dead, but that we might realize uh, that we have those spiritually and that we can, in fact, be delivered. We can be delivered from the sins that beset us and that we can live in that kind of freedom. We thank you, Lord, that all the way from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, you drove them out of the garden so that they would not eat from the tree of life. Because if they had eaten from that tree... They would have not uh, been able to, so to speak, start over. They would have not been able to die and then be be raised from the dead. So we thank you, Lord, that even though death is something that is difficult for us, thank you, Lord, that death is a doorway to the resurrection. And so thank you that its sting is no longer there. Yes, we grieve when we're separated from loved ones because of death. But Lord, in the Messiah, we thank you, Lord, that it is... That this world, as the, uh, as the rabbinic literature says, as the Pirkei Avot says, that this world is like the vestibule to the world to come. And so, Lord, we look forward to that day, God. 
when we'll experience indeed uh, that resurrection. Thank you for the assurance of it. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. And thank you for the deliverance that we have in Messiah Yeshua. And Lord, I pray for us as we begin this journey of counting the Omer this year. May reading the book of Isaiah, may meditating on Psalm 67 really transform us as we interact with your word, Lord. We thank you and we pray in Messiah's name.